Welcome to episode two of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast featuring the journey and the music of non-traditional violinists. What do we mean by that? Well, for hundreds of years, the musical role of violinists has been pretty well defined. There have been fantastic artists and players doing amazing things, but mostly within a certain box. However, in the last generation or so, a few players have ventured outside that box. Stefan Grappelli was one of the first with his gypsy jazz sound. Last week, we talked with Mark Wood, the world's first heavy metal violinist. If you missed that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to it. He's a fascinating guy with a great story. Rockstar Violinist is brought to you by two amazing sponsors, Daddario and Kodabo. Daddario makes the most popular strings for electric violinists, and Kodabo is a premier carbon fiber bow manufacturer in the world. This week, we are talking with Evan Gar. Evan plays violin with Al Di Miola, one of the most revered guitar players in jazz history. You're listening to Evan and Al right now. This is Al Di Miola's seminal shredder piece called Race with the Devil. In this episode, you'll hear about how Evan got his start in a public school music system in Detroit and pretty much taught himself how to be one of the most impressive violinists I've ever been in a room with. He'll tell you the story of how he got the job with Al, which is a fascinating story which will seriously inspire you. And he'll share some secrets about jazz violin and some of his techniques. It's a great interview, and I know you're going to enjoy him play. This interview is recorded backstage in Durham, North Carolina, right before the very first show of the 2017 Al Di Miola Elegant Gypsy 40th Anniversary Electric Tour. So sit back and enjoy. There's going to be a lot of serious stuff here. So I was about 10 years old. Um, I actually started with piano. Okay. So piano first, and then um, I think I did drums second. I was about nine during this period, eight, nine. And so um, my mother had spent a lot of money on instruments that I didn't really play. I still play piano, but not as much. And so um, she wasn't going to, we had to play something. That was her thing, because they came up playing piano. So we had to play something. So anyway, so she wasn't going to spend any more money. <laughs> so she just said, well, you're going to have to play what we have. And so her sister actually had a violin, like just at the house under the bed. And so my mother remembered that. And she said, hey, I need that violin because Evan's going to play. And I did not want to play. I thought it was a, a girl's instrument. So that was my thinking. Right. You know? but, um, but she forced me to play and... And I started, I think I was in fourth grade, something like that. Okay. Just public school. Right. You know? So, And from there on, uh, let's see, public school, maybe in about four or five months, uh, I started doing private lessons. Okay. And um, <clears throat> it was the same teacher who was at the public school. Oh, okay. So private lessons. But I only took classical for maybe about four years, but a little less than four years. Um, and then after, but all that time I was, I was in the basement 
playing, uh, or trying to pick up jazz and trying to pick up the different R&B things that we grew up listening to. Since I'm from Detroit, so it's like right. a big, you know, Stevie Wonder and Luther Vandross and things of that nature. Anita Baker. So that's who you. That's who your mom listened to in the house. Oh yeah. Well, actually, more so my father. Okay. My mom listened to everything. She listened to jazz, some rock stuff. She listened to classical, and so that's how she got me kind of into those different brands of music, you know. So, um, but yeah, I was in the basement just trying to play that stuff. Awesome. So classical was cool, but it it didn't really connect as much as it probably should have. Sure. Um, so the jazz stuff kind of connected more for some reason. So Jean-Luc Ponty and uh, Doug Cameron was another one that really, and then Noel Pointer was another a violinist that really stood out. And so those guys, they were playing stuff that was more interesting. Right. So the classical was good because I got my foundation um, with the technique. But the music just didn't, you know. So then I went on to that jazz stuff. So now I picked up another technique, and uh, more so saxophone type one. Okay. You know, so because Jean Luc, if you ever look up his story, he was always into Coltrane. Yeah. So, you can totally hear that too. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of his lines are more saxophone. Even his sound, he doesn't really sound like a violin. You know, it's more warm. Yep. So that's where I kind of got the idea, you know, to have a different sound uh, with my violin. Right. So it's not really a violin. It's kind of like a horn slash vocal for the R&B stuff, you right. know. And it's funny how many people we hear that are they're like, I don't want my violin to sound like a horn. I want it to sound like a violin. Mm-hmm. And you went the other way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So any other questions? Yeah. So, so then you sort of, <clears throat> did you quit school band and just sort of move on to your own thing? Or do you stay in band all through school or orchestra? Good question. Good question. So... Let's see, fourth grade. So from fourth, so about eighth grade, um, they still had school orchestra. Mm-hmm. And I was in it, but I wasn't really, you know, I was there, but I wasn't really playing what the orchestra was playing. So I always had a problem with my teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, but by ninth grade, I went to a school that had no orchestra, no violins, no strings of what. So it was just like a, a big band type sound. Right. Um, and actually, they had a what was called a jazz band. Right. So the jazz band, uh, you know, got your rhythm section, piano, bass, drums. And then they also had, like, clarinet, trumpet. Section. Yeah, it's usually like a big band thing is what they do in school. Kind of like a, right. Yeah. And so I was the only violinist. Okay. And so that's actually when I got, like, my first electric because I told my mother. I was like, well, I'm in band and, and nobody's going to be able to hear me. And so she went out and she purchased, uh, I got the a Fender. Okay. And I think it's the only violin Fender makes, that FV-01 or something yeah. like that. Yep. So it was a white Fender, four-string. Yep. And uh, it just so happened the school had a, an amplifier. Okay. Because uh, it was a guitar player, I guess, that had went there and he graduated. Um, so I used the school's amplifier. And that was the start of my, like, learning jazz, like, really learning jazz. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's... That's how it happened. So, so, that was so you were learning to read and to improv all at, the, all at the same. So I learned to read, and when I got maybe in like ninth grade, I got away from reading. So even now, I can still read, but it's not as fluent. Because um, I, if I hear something, I can pretty much play it. Right. So my reading is it has to, actually it's improved because Demiola he you know he makes us read, but um, he it's so funny because even without. I've learned most of his music just from ear. 
So even now, I don't really use the charts. I just use the charts when we're rehearsing. Yeah. Um, but after rehearsal, I don't really use the charts. I just, just kind as of a reference. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. So, so then you you actually were were in woodshop at the time in school, right? Mm-hmm. And and you sort of were able to combine this with music. How? Well, I, I uh, always had a passion for construction. So even when I was young, I, I kind of built things in my mother's backyard, grandmother's backyard. So when I actually went to, and, and about 10th grade, so I went to um, uh, Voltec. It was a vocational school to learn carpentry. I learned how to use the different machines, so band saws and, and so forth. And um, I was able to actually make an instrument. And I was about, maybe about 16 and so I, I tried to make an electric side. So well, first I made an acoustic, which didn't come out too good. <laughs> but um, then I made an electric. Um, but I, I had like the thumb planes and, and everything. I went and bought some templates offline. And, and so I, I tried to make one. It came out not that well. It was kind of okay. But um, and then I, you know, learned how to put wire pickups. Because right. a buddy of mine, he showed me how to use a soldering iron. And so I learned how to wire pickups. So it was like all in that 16, 17 okay. bracket, that age range, you know. That's awesome. And you said you still got all the violins that you oh, made, yeah. right? I still got all my prototypes. Yeah, I awesome. still got them at home. I'm have to bust one of those out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're a little spoiled on violins right now, though, because uh, tell people what you're playing. Okay, so right now I'm playing a, a five-string Fortnite Fuse. Um, and Evan Fornis, he, mine is green, and he kind of, in the, I guess you would call it the heel, so right past the, the scroll, and he got the, the neck, and so the heel part, on his original models, it kind of has a point, mm -hmm. and I didn't really gel with the point, because it kind of stabbed my, my hand, just for my playing style. Right. So for me, it didn't work, so I asked him if he could sand that down, and then I don't have the, um, what is it, the bout, yep. the removable bout, so I don't have that either, so there's no hole on okay. the side of my, my instrument. <clears throat> but um, yeah, so that's what I'm playing now, but I also switch from that, I have Zeta, I have a, a five-string Zeta Jazz Fusion, and actually I had that first before the Fuse, but the Fuse kind of fits my sound, what I'm looking for, that horn sound a little mm -hmm. bit more. The Zeta has more of a bite, as most people know, so for... Like the rock stuff with Al, some of the songs, the Zeta really works. Right. But then when I'm doing like kind of background parts or melodic parts, you know, I need that warmer sound. Sure. So that's what I'm using. Then I just got a, a acoustic from Zeta. So it's the one with the Stratos bridge. It's another five string. I only play five string. Yeah. Who needs to mess with a four string? All right, exactly. <laughs> but you know, Jean-Luc Ponty only plays That's five. right. That's right. And, and we got a chance to talk, me and Jean-Luc, and he asked me, he said, well, what do you play? He said, four or five. And I was like, I play five. And he was like, good. He's like, you're a good man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get, we'll get to Jean-Luc in a second. Yeah. But, but sort of when you finished high school, you were sort of looking for a gig, right? I mean, you ended up playing with somebody around Detroit. Yeah, well, I, I was doing some local things, um, and I still do some, some local things when I can. Um, but I didn't really get like a big gig until maybe maybe a little bit later. Um, I did have an offer actually when I was in eleventh grade. Quincy Jones actually, I got an offer from him. So I was about fifteen, but I wanted to finish school. And my mm -hmm. even my mother she agreed with me. She was like, "Yeah, you need to finish school before." But they were going to fly me out to L.A. And the way that happened, he heard of me 
from his secretary who came to Detroit to watch the, uh, I think it was Lennox Lewis versus somebody, the oh, yeah. boxing match. And so, um, anyway, she just happened to sit next to my band director. And they just hit it off. And he was like, you know, I got this violin guy. So she actually came down, heard us play. And she said, hey, you got to meet the cue. You know, and I was so, I mean, they caught my parents. They caught the school. But I declined at that time. So um, I still think it's a good choice. But yeah. that was like the only kind of big thing around my teenage years. But um, not until I got like in my 20s, that's when um, I got involved with another artist named Norman Connors. And so his his big hit was You Are My Starship mm-hmm. in the 70s. And um went on the road with him for about two years, two and a half years. And so that's how I got a chance to connect with someone who knew Al. Right. And then get the Al Demiola gig. Yeah, that's that's one of the great stories of all time. And and <laughs> we, we tell a lot of people that the, your story at the shop. And, and, and Al actually told the story on his Facebook page, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our listeners really would love to hear how, how you ended up getting out All right, we're going to take a quick little break here. I want to remind you guys to check out Evan on Instagram. It's at Evan Gar, E-V-A-N-G-A-R-R. And while you're there, go ahead and look up the Electric Violin Shop, too, at electricviolinshop.com. Of course, we want to thank our sponsor, Dodario Strings, and take just a second to talk to you about one of their new offerings, the Helicore Octave Strings. If you play electric violin, you're probably familiar with their famous Helicore Synthetic Core Strings. They are the most popular brand of strings with electric violinists, and they come installed on most high-end electric violins right out of the factory. Now, they're bringing you a set of octave strings. It's the same tuning as your four or five string violin, only down an octave. The low C on an octave violin is the same bottom note as a cello, allowing you to truly have a chin cello. Octave pedals are great, but they shift all the overtones and undertones too. So if you want a truly organic octave sound, the only way is to use octave strings. And because you guys are special, Daddario is giving away a set of octave strings to five lucky listeners. Go to ddar.io slash vr1 to register. Trust me, you want a set of these strings. So go to daddario.com to learn more or electricviolinshop.com to order some strings today. Now back to our interview. So what happened was I was taking care of my mother and she was ill and, and she just passed not too long ago. Yes. But um, she had to go into a respite facility. So that gave us as the family a break. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, well, you know what? Since she's going to be gone for a few days, I'm going to go out of town. And so Detroit is right next to Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're literally five minutes from right. Canada. Yeah, it's across but, the Windsor. Exactly. Exactly. And so I said, well, I'm going to drive to Toronto which is about a three-and-a-half-hour drive. And so I said, uh, they're having the, the Jazz Fest, and I knew Demiola was going to be there because I you know, I followed him as a, as a young person. So I said, well, I'm going to go see Al Demiola in Toronto. And um, 
got my car, took my instrument just because I wanted to get a picture. I, I didn't dream of playing with them at all. I really just wanted a picture. It's the honest to God's truth. And so got to the border and they said, well, where are you, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Toronto, you know, see the Jazz Fest. And they said, um, huh, really? And I was like, yeah, I guess they're looking. I'm some young kid, single, right. you know, and they're like, well, so you're just going just to see the concert and then you're coming back home? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, okay. And they didn't believe me, so they sent me to customs. <laughs> when I went to customs, they literally took my whole car apart. I had a, a Toyota Camry, like a 97 or something. And so they took the whole car apart looking for stuff. And so they found my instrument and they said, why well, are you coming here to make money? And I'm like, no, I'm not coming here to make money. I'm just coming here to see a concert. I wanted, this is, you know, one of my heroes, one of my influences. And so uh, they didn't believe me. So I had to go in and speak to the customs uh, person. It was a, a lady. And so she ran my record and I didn't have anything. And so she even asked me, are you sure that there's not something that you did that's just not on file? And I'm like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> So like I would tell you, right? It, it was, but but no. So they finally let me go, and as I'm pulling off, they're like, "Oh, you'll never make it," you know, just pessimistic. But um, I did make it. So I, the show was like at eight thirty. I thought it started at eight, but it was about eight thirty. I got there at seven forty-five. So got to Toronto. Again, this was just on a whim, so I didn't have a ticket. No. So I got there, and the show was sold out. Of course, it was sold out. So. I told a lady, I said, was there anything you can do? I just went through customs. I drove three and a half hours. And she said, well, there was some guy walking around and he's selling a ticket. I don't know if it's real, but he's got a ticket. So come to find out this guy, his son's wife had just went in labor. So he was trying to sell his son's ticket. And it was, so that's how I got in the concert. So I bought that ticket. It was legit. And I got in, saw the show. So the, uh, female vocalist Theonita Valentine with uh, Norman Connors I texted her because she knows Al's percussions which is Goombi Ortiz and so I said hey I'm at the Demiola concert um, I'm looking at Goombi Ortiz on stage and so she says well, I'm going to text him and let him know that you're there so she did and come to find out he after the concert was over he actually walked around looking for me I didn't know it because I ran back to get my instrument I had left it in the car right and so I went, ran back, got my instrument. So as I come up, I see that Al's kind of winding down from talking to the crowd. And um, so I pull my instrument out the case, and I said, "Well, maybe, maybe if I, if he sees it, you know, he'll say, hey, what is that?'" And, and it'll pique his interest. Right. So anyway, um, I did that, and instead of Al seeing me, Goombi seeing me, and he said, "Hey, are you that that violin guy that knows Theo?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So he said, "You ain't got to stand in this line." He's like, "Come back here." So he pulls me in the back and he asked me to play for him because he wanted to make sure I could play before he introduced me. Yeah, because, I mean, you know how it is. Everybody can play, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I played for Goombi and uh, he he was he digging it, you know. So he was like, oh, man, you got you to gotta meet Al. So Al, finally, about 20, 30 minutes later, he comes in his dressing room. And he was tired, obviously, just sure. did a show. And so uh, he's like, yeah, you know, it's this violin guy, a friend of a friend. You know, you got to hear him play. So I was like, oh, all right, well, you know, I'm kind of tired, but oh, violin, oh, you know. Right. So anyway, he he let me play, and I, I played his famous uh, Race with Devil. Right. And so when I did Race with Devil, he says, whoa, he's like, he's playing my lines. And, I, and so he says, keep playing, keep playing. 
and him and Goombi starts doing beats on the table as I'm playing, and and, and he really enjoyed it. And so then uh, he told me to keep playing. I was just sitting there playing for maybe about 15 minutes, and he sat and he just sat back and chilled and listened, talked to Goombi, and so um, finally he invited me to come to Toronto. I mean to Montreal because they were doing the the Montreal Jazz Fest, which is like the yeah, biggest fest, right? Yeah. And so um, I had to drive an additional six hours to get oh. to Montreal, but he gave me some gas money. He's like, hey, I can you gas money if, if you think you're going to come. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll come. You know, so I, I made the decision to go. Got there, and I broke down Toyota Camry. Right. <laughs> With the chickens are like, oh, right. <laughs> but I got there, and so we, we played. The audience really enjoyed it. We got great feedback. And so uh, Al invited me to come to New York. And so I went to New York uh, the next two days, and, and so from then on, I've, I've been with them, you know, so. What a great story. Yeah. It's like opportunity meets preparation. Exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. So you have, you've got a little bit of an unusual job in that you, you sort of, you're a featured soloist with the band, but also when Al is, is soloing, you're basically his rhythm guitar player. And yeah, pretty much. So you've developed some techniques. I'd love to have you show us some of these techniques that you developed yeah. for for basically playing rhythm guitar on a violin. Yeah, it's it's I don't you know what, and this is where I I, I kind of because I don't know how to explain it the best, but I'll try. But um, so basically, if I was doing a line, I'll do like uh, what's what's known as mutatola. So I'll say. So just providing a, a rhythm, almost like a, a guitar would do with some some chicken picking, as right. they call it. So uh, then, you know, I may do some strumming too. So something like that. Yeah. Minus the finger hitting the <laughs> But anyway. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you want to show us some other stuff that you uh, that, that you get to play? Or maybe yeah. some, some stuff that you've, that you've got? So maybe some techniques you develop? So, like with me, as you can see, I'm, I'm adjusting my bow. Now, most people, you know, this, this may be a typical, I don't know, it's maybe something like that. So that may be typical for classical players. I don't really... For my playing style, I don't like to tighten my bow that much. I kind of go with a, a very low tension. So usually what I do is I'll go just to, like it's about, as you can see, how loose it is. So then I'll tighten it up just enough to where it's got just a little bit of tension, but it's still got enough. And the reason why, I'll show you. Because I don't really use a lot of arm in my playing, so I'm more of a wrist and fingers playing. So maybe a little too. So... So it's more of a wrist and, and a finger action, mm -hmm. almost like a guitar player. And so that's why if I have a lower tension, it's, it's not as much resistance from the, the bow here when I'm trying to just do wrist and finger action. Right. So if I had a higher tension, just to give an example, for me, I don't have as much control. So I can still do it. 
but it's not as I'm kind of messing up now. It's, it's a lot of yeah, bounce. It's bouncy. Yeah. A lot of bounce. So if I don't have that much tension, it, it lessens the bounce and gives me more control. Okay. So. Tell me a story where you you gotten in a bit of a mess one night. Where, oh yeah, uh, the, the bow had literally come <laughs> apart on you in the middle of a show. Right. So, th- and this is actually the bow. So if you see here, I don't have a tip anymore. <laughs> so what happened was I was doing a, a outside event, and um, I guess because of the humidity, that's what the the bow repair guy was telling me. But the humidity, as I'm playing, caused the hair to actually separate itself and, and the wedge that's in there. So mm-hmm. this wedge just kind of pulled right out. So what happened, when that happened, I got hair all over the place, but I knew from when I was younger, just experimenting. <clears throat> I was trying to make bows at one point just to see how they worked. So I took my bow apart, and I remembered that the actual, if you're using a carbon fiber bow like this one, it still resonates. Now, I'm not sure. It might be the same with wood bows, but I know for sure with carbon fiber, it resonates. So I actually had to finish that song like this. So I'm not even using the hair. must go on right exactly <laughs> and this is why you always carry two bows exactly i did so while that's happening you know my my stage hand if you will he's getting my other bow out of the case and getting it all you know ready for me that's how i had to finish the song Well, with that segue talking about bows, we're going to take a quick break here to talk to you about Coda Bow, the premier maker of carbon fiber bows for violin, viola, cello, and bass. Now, we should mention when Evan talks about the tip of his bow breaking, the bow itself didn't break. It's just a little cap that goes on the end. So until you're getting into bows that cost as much as a car or a house, and who's going to take one of those on a rock stage, you really ought to look at carbon fiber. There's a couple of reasons we really like carbon fiber bows. They're way more repeatable than wood bows. I mean, wood comes from trees, and trees grow kind of unpredictably. One branch is really not like another. Carbon fiber is manufactured in a highly repeatable way, meaning that one Coda Bow Diamond NX is very much like another. From an environmental standpoint, that means no one's tramping through a rainforest to cut down trees to make these bows. And because of this, a $500 carbon fiber bow is going to compare very favorably with a $1,000 wood bow. And you don't have to worry about snapping it if you drop it. Coda Bow has products for a wide range of budgets, starting with their Prodigy Bow for just over $300, all the way up to the brand new Marquee Bow for over $1,000, which is a truly spectacular bow. You can go to electricviolinshop.com to order your Coda Bow today. Now we're going to get back to Evan's interview in just a second, but I want to hear him play some more. 
This track and the previous track are from his earlier release called The Chill Out Album. And I highly recommend picking that up on iTunes. It's a really, really good piece of work. Yes. Uh, you guys are friends. Yes. And uh, you're actually going to get a chance to play with him this summer, right? Yes. Yep. So June 21st in Detroit at Shane Park. And everybody is probably familiar with the live at Shane Park CD that he Yeah, did. One, of his, one of his best works. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, he's, so he's coming back to Shane Park, and he's going to have me play um, on a, a couple of numbers, probably somewhere towards the end, maybe. Right. I don't know exactly. But, are um, they going to record again? I'm not sure. No, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I know I'll be there, so if they do... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, we know it'll probably be on YouTube or something. So you Well, know. and that's the thing nowadays is that, you know, everything is so accessible. Exactly. Um, you know, you're you're a little younger than me, but, I mean, I'm sure you remember a day when, when <laughs> it wasn't that you could just see all the artists that oh, you right. wanted to see by going to YouTube. It was... Exactly. You had to get vinyl, or you had to get a CD or, or yeah. whatever. Or purchase tickets just to go to the show. And, right. Exactly. So when you're self-taught and you're learning all these all these jazz licks, are you able to hear these things in real time, or do you have a way to slow this stuff down? Or, or? Good question. Yeah, so um, my method, I, I didn't have a, a way to slow it down. So I would take pieces of the lick. So, for example, if, if the lick is, one of Jean-Luc's licks is... Um, So I would literally have to pause the tape, and I'm saying tape, so that's letting you know oh, how yeah, far yeah. back, <laughs> the cassette tape. So when he would do it, I would hit stop or hit pause, and then I would practice that. And then I hear the next part, and I said, okay. Then you connect them. And I said, okay, well, what's after that? So that's that was my method. And so eventually, when you hear the whole phrase, then when you practice it slow, and you always have to practice it slow. For sure. Always. So you would... And you can put it together. Right. Awesome. So do you use a slowdowner now? Or are you no. still sort of going, no, that's cool, it's just I'm going to make myself battle through this and exactly. learn. Exactly. Even with, with Al, you know, it's funny because he's got some of the hardest lines. You know, he his music is similar to Chick because that's his background with For Chick sure. Corea. Yeah. So those Chick Corea slash Al DiMiolo lines, he does the same thing, actually. So we'll take part of the line. Okay. We'll make sure that that's clean. Then we'll add the next part. Okay. Then we'll add the next part. So eventually, when you put it all together, you'll have that full line in the song, whatever the song is. Right. Now, it, I sort of feel like maybe that it takes you longer to learn a lick the first time mm -hmm. when you're doing that, but it helps you build those listening skills. Sure. When you get on stage yeah. and he pulls out something new, maybe he gets the Holy Ghost and he pulls out right. something new. <laughs> and, and so now you've developed that listening skill that you can absorb that lick in real time and maybe feed it back to him with a twist. 
and and that allows you to to, to improvise better and, and listen better in a real yeah. Cool situation. No, that's that's true because even even um, a lot of times he'll write while we're on the road. He'll just write a new line, mm-hmm. and you have to be ready for that. So that it kind of helps that I, I do know how to read to an extent um, because I can read the notes. But then, like you just mentioned, now you have to put it together rhythmically, mm-hmm. and so hearing the piano player practice the line, hearing Al practice his own line that he wrote, you can, even though you're reading it on the paper, you can see how it fits. Oh, that's that's how he's doing it. Okay. So by me being able to hear, I can pick it up. And so he says, okay, let's play it. Now I can pretty much play it, you know. Right. So so you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so tell me more maybe about sort of your practice techniques and, and, and how do you sort of structure your practice life? Yeah. Uh, most people... Well, most violinists that I know of, they, they usually practice scales. And and I, I do too, but it's, it's not like, I, I wouldn't practice like, uh, I wouldn't get up and just say, well, let me just do a C scale or do a C sharp uh, minor seven and all this other. See, I don't, I don't do that. I'll take music or songs that I like. So that would keep my interest. Right. And I'll actually play the, the licks, which are essentially scales. Right. So I'll take, um, like, for example, we, we mentioned Jean-Luc, but maybe even some Demiola stuff. So he's got all these weird licks, which uses all those different modes of scales. So really, I'm practicing scales, but I'm practicing a song that I like, too, so it, it makes it more interesting than just sitting there doing a C scale or an a E-flat scale or whatever. So that's, that's what I do. So I practice licks from songs, which are essentially scales. Right. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So you're probably a couple hours a day when you're home. Oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, for sure. And then when you're on the road, what's, at least what's, two. What's practice life like on the road on a bus? You know, on the road it's, it's a little difficult. So pretty much like with shows like this, we get three four days rehearsal. So that's like our big practice. But we don't really have to practice practice like every day because we're playing every day and we have sound checks every day right so those sound checks are really like our warm-ups slash rehearsals um so that's how it is on the road we really don't on the bus you're kind of just trying to rest and right and enjoy each other's company you know right. so yeah cool so uh you know what's what's coming up next for evan gar you're actually out with al for a month or so now right mm-hmm. yeah and then after that, it's just, you know, you, you've had I'm sort working. of a major life change at home. I did have a major life change at home. And uh, I've been working on my second CD for a while now. I did one CD back in like 06, 2005, 2006. So I'm trying to finish the second production now. And so that's going to be probably my main focus for the next two, three months. Okay. So that way by June... You know, I'm hoping we can be finished. Me and my partners back home, my okay. music buddies, so we can put it together, have a finished product, and then start pushing it. You know. So you've got a studio in your house. Yes. And then, so that's where most of the stuff happens, or, or are you recording somewhere else? That's like tracking. Like we we do tracking there, but then we go to some professional studios back in Detroit um, to like do the actual record recording and the mix. Sure. Well, not recording, but so I can track some stuff at the house. But then you'll take like the wave files, right? And then you can mix them and master them and so forth. Awesome. So yeah, yeah. Well, we won't we won't give too much away, but there there are some other big players in the music business that have, that have taken notice uh, of you and your talent. I don't know if you've talked to Quincy Jones again since since high school. No, I haven't. No, I haven't talked to any of his people. 
crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, you know, we, we talked about uh, another sort of major name in the business, and, and we'll sort of see where that, that yeah, we heads did. out. Okay. Yep. Um, but that's, you know, there's <laughs> the nice thing about being on a tour like this is that is all the big name people, they know who Evan Gar is now, and, and they've seen you, and they know what you're up to and what you can do. Uh, so have you had any job offers come out of being seen without? Um, yes and no. More so, not like to play with somebody else, because I, I think there's a, a respect, you know, sure. sort of like, oh, you're still with Al, you know, finish that run, but we want you to record with us. Right. So there's been a lot of uh, people that say, hey, come to L.A., we got work for you. In fact, when we were just in L.A., uh, Philippe Sace, he's our keyboard player. And he actually did a lot of these songs that we're playing today without. They recorded them back in the late 70s and 80s. But Philippe's big with PSP. So that's Simon Phillips, Philippe Sace, and Pino Palladino. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so when we were in California, uh, he introduced me to a lot of his buddies. And so they're trying to work with me if, if they can. And so that was great because they do movie stuff. Yeah. So that's that's another avenue. You know, instead of just doing road tours, now you can do some movie things. So we, we don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. So it's a lot of doors that's open. Right. Like you mentioned. So we just got to see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Again, opportunity meets preparation. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, tonight's the first night of the tour. Mm-hmm. And you guys have been practicing. I'm really excited to see the show okay. tonight. And right. uh, man, I really appreciate you doing the interview. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. feel terrible interrupting this but thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of rockstar violinist whatever platform you're on please be sure to click subscribe so that you can get notified every time we post another episode next week we're going to feature a violinist from a completely different genre we'll be talking with rachel grace who is one of the first in a growing number of edm or electronic dance music violinists She's a great talent, a super nice person, and a really fun interview, so I know you'll enjoy that. Now, we're going to let you get back to listen to Evan for a few minutes. This is with his band in Detroit called 313, The Live Experience. 